Well, good morning, everyone. One more time, would you say thank you to all these kids' leaders and all these kids? Way to go, guys. We're so proud of you. Way to go. Well, it is Christmas here, and like I bet at your house, we're very busy around here. So many exciting things going on. While they're kind of getting into their place, I want to direct your attention to a couple of things that were on your seats. The uh, Save the Date card, would you take that home, put it on your fridge, pay attention to what's going on over the next several weeks. The big one for us this week is this Friday night, is Christmas Eve Eve. It's the biggest event of the year around here. You're going to want to be here, but we also want you to invite your friends and family to join us. So if you're our guest today, we're especially glad that you're here. We want you to come back on Friday night and be with us at either 7 p.m. or 9 p.m. And around here, we've been talking about this for a while, and I said that today we would be celebrating the value we have around here of inviting people to be a part of church. And so if you uh, want to do something with me, I want to, uh, for, for the next couple minutes, I want to give away our big gift basket. Now, the way we're going to do that is very simple. We, what we said was we were going to give away a gift basket that's got about $300 worth of stuff in it, really cool. We were going to give it to the person that invited the most people this week. So from last Sunday until today, you invited the most people to be at our Christmas Eve Eve service. Very simple how we're going to do this. If you'll pull out your Connect card and write on the gray area, just write for me the number of people you invited. We'll collect that information, and this afternoon you'll get a call. So I am up to four specific invites this week, four specific. I had hoped to hit seven. I only got four in, four specific invites. So uh, you'll probably have to beat that, uh, but we've, we've excluded all the staff for being eligible. So even if you have less than four, would you write that down? So right on your Connect card on the front, there's a gray box. Just write, I invited and circle the number and we'll, that's how we'll do this. And at the end of the service, you'll put that in the offering bucket when it comes by. And we'll con contact you this week about who invited the most. We'll celebrate that. It'll be on Facebook and a few other places, all right? Well, I wanted you to meet with me this morning one of our primary kids workers. Her name is Sabrina Turner, and I'm not sure where she went. There you are. Way to go, Sabrina. Come on up. Have a seat with me. I wanted you to meet her a little bit more. You saw her chat with you just a few minutes ago as the kids were coming on stage. But what you may not know is that, like all of us, she has a God story that's been going on in her life. We believe that God is involved in all of our lives. Sometimes we don't even see it or know it, but he is. And at Christmas, what we think we should be focusing on is the fact that God sent his son Jesus into the world, not so that we could just have nostalgic feelings as we see nativity scenes and Christmas lights and get together with family, but so that the story God is writing in this world of his love and his grace could impact our lives. And I wanted you to hear a little bit about her story. So Sabrina, welcome to the stage this Thank morning. You. I'm so glad you're here. Thank hey, you. that was really Thank awesome you. with the kids. Um, it seemed to me like they really got the clap and the stomps down. That, it almost seemed like we hadn't even practiced the words. <laughs> yeah, but, but I know you did. It was cute. It's they a little good. intimidating to be up here. A little, it's a, a little lot intimidating. Now, did I hear one of the kids say that they get coffee at a Christmas um, event? I was going to talk to Allison Harpel about that. Because <laughs> I don't think Jay needs any you know, coffee. When I was a kid, they told me if I drank coffee, it would stunt my growth. And I didn't believe them, but it's true coffee stunts your growth. All right, so this is Sabrina Turner. Sabrina, tell us a little bit about you. Right. Tell us a little bit about uh, your family, your background. You're married? I am. I am. I'm married. Um, my husband, Brian, and I just celebrated 25 years. Whoop. Yep. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah, Where'd very excited. Um, so that's, that's 
a great thing that's happening. We've, everything we do this year, I'm reminding him, like, at Christmas, you know, this is our 25th Christmas, so try Is that to your hint for that. a bigger gift? That is, just a little bit. I hope Ryan's paying attention. You have some children? Um, yeah. We have um, Autumn. She's 24. Um, she serves, actually, back in the Bumblebee classroom every week. And um, we have Brian. He's 21 years old. All the kids are in college um, except for Autumn. She's out and bought her own condo, and she's working and all that. And then we have Haley, um, who's 19 now. So our youngest is 19. Wow. And now you're serving with our young kids. Right. Well, I am impressed. I ain't going to lie. Because when my kids are old, I'm not talking to another kid until it's my grandkids. So I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I, I joke. I actually I love kids. It's a total joke. But, but really, it's a special ministry, I think, to do what you do. And we're so glad yeah. that you do it here. Tell us a little bit about your background, kind of growing mm-hmm. up in church. Well, actually, um, I've been in church my whole life. Um, my parents... Um, had, I'm one of four. I'm the oldest of four. Um, and I've been in church my whole life um, and just always had a very, even at a young age, some of my earliest memories are um, that of praying. I was probably three or four. Um, so I know that when we're talking to the kids that they, when they have that personal relationship, when we talk to them about God being their forever friend, um, I know that it's impactful that at this tiny age that it means something to them because, you know, um, I had that. So my whole life, um, I actually uh, asked God into my heart, and um, I was probably either sixth or seventh grade. Um, it was an early part of youth, so I know that what our students are doing and what Melissa's team does with them is so impactful. Yeah. Um, because when I made that commitment, I knew then what I was, what I was doing, what I was saying. I, I remember I was um, just at five years old, and I was in a kid's church, and the minister gave us a chance to ask Jesus into our heart. And I certainly didn't understand at all, but I understood enough. And it was as real as real could be. We think that these powerful spiritual moments that happen in the life of a kid are real, that they're important, that God is actually there. And it's our job then as family and as a church to build on that. Mm -hmm. And that's why we use a motto that we're partnering with parents to build disciples. We're partnering with parents to build disciples. Sometimes I say it this way. We're partnering with parents to accomplish all the good work that God wants to do in a kid's life. And so for those of you that serve in our kids' Mm -hmm. ministry, thank you for that. It is a big deal. And so when these kids pray, when they hear stories about Jesus, you you talked about forever friend. That's one of the phrases we use. God wants to be your forever friend. That stuff gets in and it drives an anchor in their soul. And our prayer is that no matter how far they go in life, they never pull fully free from those values that begin right here. Right. So that happened to you. That's a big part of why you do this. It is. That's a huge part of why I do this. How long have you been serving in kids' ministry? Over 20 years. Um, Actually, as soon as Autumn was born, I would serve in the nursery like a lot of young moms because I wanted to know what that was all about and if she was safe and that sort of thing. And and then I think I may have taken a year off and, and kind of you know, rested as a young mom. And then I was back in a toddler room for several years. And, and I kind of worked my way into the elementary um, program. And I've been there since. So at least, I would say, 15, 20 years in elementary. And that's just where my heart is. I, I would have followed them to middle school, but they didn't think I was cool enough. And I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to give them a little bit of a Trust me, you're, you're in the me. right spot. Middle school, really. All right, so... <laughs> 
<laughs> I love middle school I did. Kids. I wanted to follow them. They were like, no, let's let you just stay there. You stay there. Yeah. So you joined On to Four Corners because you were a volunteer at the church that joined on board with us when we came together, I don't know, a year and a half ago, almost two years ago now. Right. Um, you uh, joined our team as a part of that, but very quickly you were given an opportunity to serve for pay a little bit. So we decided to give right. you like $3 a week, required 30 hours of time. Church pay. Some church pay like that. But you, you jumped on in a big way. But really the transition I wanna talk about is the one that happened not all that long ago. When you and I sat down and we started talking about your long-term engagement at this church. So really, something really cool happened. And I'm going to tell you, I didn't even tell you I was going to tell this story, but something really cool happened. Um, I'm thinking often about, God, where do you want our church to go? What do you want us to do? What's the next door of ministry for us, right? So here we are, where do you want us to be? And so I just pray about that stuff. And one of the things in a church our size that's always a part about future planning is, who is the team that you're calling together to lead? the movement. I mean, who is that? Who is that group? And we've always been fortunate around here to have great team members. This is, we are incredibly blessed by the team that God has brought together, and I'm thrilled to serve with them. And, but we had some opportunities in kids' ministry. There were some gaps that we needed to fill, and for the last few years, we had been filling those with good-hearted, quality, part-time staff who did an incredible job, but they couldn't give all the time required to do all that we needed to do moving forward. Where we were was fine, but not if we were going to continue to move forward. And so one day I decided I'd approach Sabrina and I said to her, I want to sit down with you in a few weeks and talk about your long-term role around this place. And instantly she said, well, that's interesting because I want to sit down and talk with you about my long-term role around this place. And then she pulled out this piece of paper and said, do you see this note right here? I just made a note, get with Ben to talk about what is my future at Four Corners. And I don't think those things are accidents when those happen. And so I got from that moment kind of a confirmation that we would begin a process of exploring whether or not Sabrina could move from a quality, quality part-time person to perhaps leading all of our 4C kids ministry that takes us from about birth or say six, eight weeks all the way up through fourth grade, a lot of the kids that were on the stage. And so that conversation began. And so I said to you, would you pray about, would you think about leading this? And you didn't say yes right away. I didn't. I didn't say yes for a little while. There was, um, I had what I call healthy hesitation. That's yeah. what I decided to label that, Ben. Yeah, um, yeah. Healthy hesitation. Um, I did. Uh, we what, were what, actually, what, what was your yeah. hesitation about? Because mm-hmm. this is not just your story. There's right. a lot of us in the room. We have felt God push us, direct right. us. And then when the moment comes, we pause for a second. That's not a bad thing. Right. You're basically weighing out the cost. If I do this, can I do it? Is God in it? What was it for you specifically? Well, I do. I think there's a huge difference between um, hesitation and like disobeying what you feel God's um, putting on your heart. And for me, that hesitation was, um, am I the right person? Um, Is it God that's calling me or is it something that I feel, you know, a tug at my heart. Um, is it a Ben calling? You know, I wanted to make sure that it was really um, a God calling. And I've done that with so many things over the years um, that I've had uncertainty about or fear. Um, I'll take that time. And um, actually what often happens for me is that I begin to really dive into the Bible and try to find out, is it a God thing? Is it 
is he leading me? Um, and I'll often think of things that have happened, um, just consequently leading up to whatever this is that I feel like God's put on my heart, and this was the, the kid's pastor position, and um, try to decide, has God been determining that path? So my hesitation, of course, was that it's a God thing. Um, it's, it's bad to um, let your boss down, but if your boss is, is the big guy, um, I didn't want to do that, and I wanted to make sure that if I stepped into the position that and Ben was so great, my first thing was, um, I think when we met, I started saying like, well, and I need this, and I need resources, and I might need a coach that I, I can like talk to that isn't you, and he was amazing by just saying, absolutely, we're going to make sure you have all the resources you need to, to do this in a God-honoring way, and so my hesitation, of course, was, you know, is this really what God wants me to do? And um, I didn't how, want to how let did you, you down. get over that? Because mm -hmm. a lot of us have those questions, but we can get stuck. I, even in my own self, I've noticed mm -hmm. I'll get sometimes stuck in the questions that are good questions, but I just get stuck in the question phase or in the research phase. What catapulted you past oh. contemplation to mm. action? Ah, oh, Ben, I think you're talking about my really tough, tough day that I went home, and I kind of shared this in a staff meeting. Is that what you're talking about? That's what I'm talking about. I kind of thought you might be talking about that. <laughs> um, kind of went with my big why, and, and that tends to, to make me um, cry. Um, so I, I went on vacation. I thought about it. I came back. I told Ben, um, I'm just not 100%, but I, I think I'm going to do it. And then he kind of started giving me resources at the church so that I could figure out, like, what that meant. And um, I went home one day, and I was on the brink of telling Ben, I'm, I'm all in. I want to do this. And we have a great team, and I want to be a part of it. Um, but then I started seeing all the work it was going to take. And you, I you went mean home. it's not easy? It's not easy, Ben. Okay. okay. Pray for us. Pray for us. Um, it's not easy. And I started realizing that. And I, I've always known it's not a Sunday morning thing. I've always been a part of the bigger picture. But I started seeing all the processes that needed to happen. I started having self-doubt. Self-doubt tends to creep up. Satan has a way of, of doing that when something great's about to happen. So keep that in the front of your mind because that was what was happening to me. Um, I started having a little bit of self-doubt. Uh, I knew processes needed to happen, which would take some computer work. I'm not all that great on a computer. It's not where God gifted me. Um, so I knew there was going to be a lot. And uh, I came home one day from a probably eight or ten hours of being here, just, just wrapping my brain around all of it. And the drive home was me praying, which is I'm not talking to myself when you guys pass me on the street. That's part of my time. Um, so I was praying on the way home, and I just just felt an overwhelmed feeling of, hey, can I do this? You know, um, uncertainty, fear. And it, it just, I mean, by the time I got home, instead of being calm and feeling, um, you know, just that there was a God peace about it, I had worked myself into panic almost. We used to call it a tizzy. A little tizzy. Worked yourself into a tizzy. A little tizzy. Yeah. I was in tizzy. That's and, a great uh, way to come home, isn't it? Awesome. <laughs> so <laughs> you have to ask Brian about that. So, um, you know, so I, I came in the door, and um, we're, we always greet each other. So, and I heard Brian, like, dishwasher. I think he was loading the dishwasher. But um, That's a good husband it, right it's there. It's a good one. That's a good 25 husband. 25 years, Ben. That's incredible. You guys wondered. Um, <laughs> So Brian's loading the dishwasher, and he stopped to come in and just say, hey, you know, how was your day? And he came in and got, I don't even know if a word came out. 
But I just began to just pour out my heart, and I was bawling. Probably going to do it again. Okay. Just the fear and the uncertainty, and I really knew that God was calling me to do it. But there was just that overwhelmed feeling of, what if I fail? I can't fail the kids. Um, it's a huge opportunity to help the families. Um, you know, I, I believe that kids can bring families closer to Christ. So I just had this big weight, and I, I've always relied on God and always found peace. But it wasn't finding the peace as quickly as I wanted to find the peace. So I just began to pour my heart out to him. I said, Brian, I am just petrified. I don't want to let the kids down. I don't want to let Ben down, but I, I especially don't, I can't let God down. This is big. This is much bigger than me. And um, I just started to tell him everything I had to do. So he heard my whole list for the week. Um, you know, this process needs in place. The handbooks need updated. I want to bring the two teams together so that we feel like one giant team. And right now we're, we're kind of uh, two areas of elementary. And um, I just began, I mean, most of you probably know, and it was just coming. And after a little while, I began to, you know, move my bag and put my, put my work bag up and take my shoes off. And Brian went back to the dishwasher. And he was kind of putting things away. This was after giving me a couple of hugs that I didn't want. And I was, I was prepared. <laughs> I, I didn't want him. Don't at, console me. I didn't. I was actually, I know, I, I'm going to be honest. I'm just transparent. I didn't really want to hug. And I was, um, I actually was prepared for him to fix it. I love my husband. He's the greatest guy in the world. Um, but when I have a problem, his very first initial thing is to tell me whatever steps it is that he could help me fix it. Sometimes I just want to just, you know. So there's another one. See, 25-year tips. I'm going to pass go. them out all day. Um, he's great. He's wonderful. And, um, but I was prepared for him to give me, like, well, what you should do is start with the handbook, you know, take baby steps, blah, blah, blah. And I didn't want to hear any of that. I was having a meltdown. And, um, and so from the kitchen, I'm telling him all these things. And he said to me, he said, Sabrina, you know, I've heard you for years. I've heard you out loud pray that God would use you however he would use you. And he said, but you know, I've never heard you once say only if it's easy. And that was my turning point, Ben. Um, first of all, that wasn't my husband. For I will forever feel that that was God using him because Brian's not much of a philosopher, and he and I... Uh, <laughs> That, those were not his words, I'm telling you. Those were not his words. I feel like God put it on his heart to say that because those same words, if you would have said them to me, Ben, um, if Brian, um, if, if one of the kids would have said them, if my girlfriends or my sisters that I can find, if anyone would have said to me, Sabrina, you pray for God to use you and to stretch you, but I've never heard you say, um, you know, let it be easy. I probably would have rolled my eyes. I'm just going to be honest. I probably would have said, whatever. Um, but for Brian to say that from the other room, I knew that was God telling me, I've heard you pray to just be used by me. And so I knew that was a God thing. So that was my turning point. I don't know if I called you that night or if I ran back in, but I, I said, I'm, I'm in, I'm all in. And uh, so I would say don't let 
fear and uncertainty steal your joy? Um, because that very moment that I allowed that uncertainty and that fear to go, oh, it's been great. Yeah. It's been so great. Not that self-doubt don't, doesn't occasionally creep up. I think it does that in all of us. Um, but it's been such a privilege to be a part of um, what's happening in kids and to be a part of the family. It's been great. What been great. is really cool while all that's going on, I'm calling a bunch of volunteers going, all right, so we're thinking about this. What, what, would, you, what would you feel about um, Sabrina stepping to the forefront? And every person, yes. Yes, mm-hmm. she's the right one. She's the right one. She's the right one. And Sabrina, we are thrilled that you did your homework, that you appropriately weighed the opportunity, that you talked with the Lord, and I'm grateful that you listened to your husband. That's another clue for 25-year marriages years. right there. I ain't going to lie. So I'm so it's grateful true. that you listened to him because we as a church get the benefit of your leadership, your emotional maturity, your spiritual maturity, the way you know how to lead your team, we're better for it. There isn't a better person for this season of our church to lead than you because you're God's pick. And I am grateful. Thank Can you. you guys help me say thank you to Sabrina? Thank you. Sabrina, thank you. Thank you all. We love you. We absolutely love you. Thank you. We have to do that again. Second we have service. to do it again second service. That's right. Uh, hey, um, Many of you know that um, we're in the middle of this joy series. And one of the things that brings this church a lot of joy is our ministry partnerships in this building, like with kids ministry. Um, Around the world at Four Corners, India, it's a big deal. And then a little more locally, we've this year partnered with Seven Oaks Farm uh, Miniature Therapy Horses. And um, the ministry that is happening through them where they bring hope and joy to people at veterans hospitals, hospice situations, Ronald McDonald houses kids that are very sick. Um, They do goodwill work with local police stations. Um, Well, that's caught the attention of a lot of people. And we thought that maybe you would like to see the uh, expose that the Today Show did on them just yesterday. So turn your eyes to the screen and watch this. This is our ministry partner, Seven Oaks uh, Farm Miniature Therapy Horses. Watch this. In the passenger unloading area, this probably isn't what they had in mind. I was like, what are they doing here, you know? <laughs> but at the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport, these two have elite status. Oh, they're beautiful. <laughs> and they walk the terminal like celebrities. I know, it's adorable, right? It's the holidays and they look so cute with their antlers and everything on, it's really cute. In a season of oversold flights, short tempers and long lines, miniature horses are the airport's designated stress busters. Therapy animals help to ease those anxiety levels, um, put smiles on faces. And we are in Kentucky after all, so we thought, why not give horses a try? Trainer Lisa Moad saw how happy they made children at cancer centers she took them to. And felt they'd do the same for harried travelers. Were you surprised when the airport said, yeah, bring them in? Honestly, yeah, yeah. They were so enthusiastic, it's like, whoa, I wasn't ready for that, so (laughs) here we are. Moad says the horses are gentle. And they become such a hit, you can find them all over social media. Does this mean he likes me or he thinks that I have food? A little bit of both. (laughs) If you think colts on the concourse are a little crazy, the San Francisco airport has gone whole hog. It's got a therapy pig. I see an animal and I just, I, my spirits are lifted automatically. Barnyard animals in the terminal, giving new meaning to calling a busy airport a zoo. 
What a beautiful holiday spirit. You go Cincinnati. For today, Janet Chamley and NBC News, Cincinnati. <laughs> it's, uh, isn't that great? And we're a part of that. That's exciting. So I won't be making a big pitch for our Christmas offering today. And if you bring guests with you on Christmas Eve Eve, I won't be making a big pitch then either. We'll just make folks aware, much like I'm doing right now, that when you give to our Christmas offering called Seeds of Change, we're planting seeds to make changes in our own building, some major expansion for our kids' ministry. We're planting seeds of change halfway around the world in Kerala, India, at our church planting and orphanage there, where we're starting to build a boys' home to house up to 50 uh, orphan boys. We already take care of 40 orphan girls. And we're going to also make a deep investment in families here in our own church who need counseling and other help. So when you give to that offering, that's what we're funding. The exciting thing is, is really the money we give is going to make a big difference. So make sure you invite your guests. Some of them would like to be a part of that, and we'll make them aware of it, but it's not the big part of our program. We're going to talk about Jesus on Christmas Eve Eve. But if you call this church home, I'd love for you to give a gift to our Christmas offering. Jill and I, every year, we take our most expensive Christmas gift, and we give a similar amount of money to our church. Our thinking is very simple on this. It's Jesus' birthday, and it's the only birthday that globally gets celebrated. And the other thing that's unique about it, it's the only birthday I know of where we give gifts to everybody else but the Christmas, or but, but the birthday boy. And so at Christmas, we give a gift to Jesus' work in the world. And that's how we do it. You do it as you want, pray about it, whatever, and uh, give something to help us move forward on those initiatives. And I think you'll be glad you did, all right? Well, we're in... Philippians now, chapter 2. We're going to finish out chapter 2 today in a few minutes. won't take us very long. I'd like you to go to your Bible, your cell phone app, or right there on your message notes that were on your seat when you came in. It looks like this. There's some pictures of our Christmas project, some words about our Christmas project on the back. But in the middle, you'll see the message notes for today and the passages we're looking at. And I want to talk to you about bringing joy, bringing joy. So for the last few weeks, my wife Jill and I have been going about in the hustle and bustle trying to find gifts so that on Christmas morning when our kids open them up, there'll be joy in their eyes. We like doing that. I used to like getting gifts, but as I got older, I love to give gifts. Many of you in this room, you're givers, and we take time like a lot of you do in our family to give gifts that are specific to what people need and some of what they want, but really, we just do it as an expression of love for them. Today, we're going to talk about how you can have a similar mentality to bring joy with the gift you give. But the thing I want to challenge you with today is what if you thought about it this way? What if you thought about the fact that you personally are the gift that you can give? You personally are the gift that you can give. And what if you give yourself in such a way that when you give yourself that way, it brings joy to other people? There's a way that you can give yourself, present yourself, and it brings joy to people. And our passage today in Philippians chapter 2 talks about it. Now, I have all the verses there for you, and I don't like to read an extended passage, you know, to you. So I'd ask you to follow along with me as I read it out loud. Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30. We're going to look at two specific people that the Apostle Paul is talking about. Here's what he says. I hope in the Lord... Jesus to send Timothy, that's our guy we're going to talk about today, to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. 
For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him and not him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give him. Two people, Timothy and Epaphroditus. In short term, Paul described him this way, Timothy, I have no one else like him, and Epaphroditus, hold men like him in highest esteem. So what are the traits of these guys that if we would follow their example, would make us into the kind of people who become a gift to other people? What if instead of just giving gifts this year, what if to some degree you were the gift? You personally became the kind of person that as you interacted with your family, your coworkers, your, your fellow students, you literally brought joy to them by the way you conducted yourself. Now this passage we just read is specifically written to Christians. Paul was writing this letter to the church at Philippi because while the difficulties he experienced in starting that church, now years later as he writes the letter, when he reflects on them, he thinks about them through the lenses of joy. Almost everything about his experiences with them brings him joy. It was difficult, but it brings him joy. It was hard, but it lifts his spirit. His memories have been clouded in a good way with joyful experiences that at the moment, if you and I were going through it, we wouldn't call it joyful. And these two guys that he writes to them about learned the secret that their lives and the way they live it can truly be a gift to people. And so for followers of Jesus now who read this letter a couple thousand years later, we get to learn a little bit of the insights of what's it, what it takes for you and I to be a gift of joy to other people. And that's part of how God uses our lives to make a difference in this world. He calls followers of Jesus to have a relationship with God, of course, through grace. And then he calls us to make a difference in the world in which we operate. And we're going to learn a couple of those secrets. Nothing here is going to be new for you. But I thought at the time of Christmas when it would be real easy to forget that Jesus came into the world to bring joy it would be real easy to forget that one of the ways he does that is he uses his people, you and me, his children, to literally bring joy to others. And we do that not just through gift giving, although that's one way. We do that not just through giving in an offering, although that's a way. We do that when our lives reflect the life of Christ. And when that happens, it brings joy to other people. So here's a handful of ways. 
I think that to become the kind of person who is a gift to other people, the first phrase I want us to, or first word I want us to look at is the word compassion. When I talk about compassion, there are your blanks. I'm talking about putting people before personal profit. Putting people before personal profit. Here's the truth. Relationships are more valuable than things. There are people all over our city and all over our world who have had cruddy relationships all year long and they are now guilt motivated to spend a lot of money to buy a gift to make all of that go away, to kind of balance it out. I haven't been here for you, here's a bigger gift. Mom and dad are separated now, here's a bigger gift. And we try sometimes to use things to replace the relational dynamic, but it doesn't work. One of the ways that our lives are a gift to other people is when we realize the relationship or people are more important than the things in our life or the profit we might gather. This is what Paul was talking about with Timothy in Philippians chapter 2, verse 20 and following. He says, I have nobody else like him who'll show genuine concern for your welfare. Genuine concern for your welfare. For everybody else, the tendency is, is to look out for yourself. But he looks out for you because he is committed to the work of Christ. Some of you know the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10. The story of the guy who had no business officially taking care of the man who was injured, lying on the side of the road. And yet he did exactly that. This Samaritan reaches out and takes care of a Jewish person. And there was all kinds of tension there racially. But this Samaritan guy reaches out and takes care of the man who was battered and bruised laying on the side of the road. And he puts his personal profit aside, uh, profitability aside as he's on his way to do business. And instead he stops and gives attention to this gentleman. Not just attention of time, but he takes this wounded guy to a hotel, pulls out his MasterCard and tells the innkeeper, whatever the expenses are, I'll pay for it. And he uses his profit to make a relational investment. That's kind of why we give gifts. Our gift giving is a token of our deeper love for them. But the challenge is, is we can never believe that things replace people. And here we are in the North suburbs and a lot of us are driven by career, and that's actually an okay thing, so long as it is in check. As long as we understand that our marriage is more important than our career, that our parenting is more important than our travel with our company. And that's tension in all of us, because most of us work for a place where a certain amount of a direction is given to us and we're not fully self-directed to set our own calendar, our own pace or our workload. But the truth is, is if we're not careful, our culture, our society, and even just the way we're wired will make us forget that people matter more than things. So if you really wanna give a gift this Christmas, give the gift of compassion to the people around you. And for our discussion, I'm describing compassion this way, protecting the needs and the rights of other people, their needs, their rights given to them by God. When that is more important to us than our profitability, we start stepping into the realm of compassion and that becomes a gift to people. Number two, you wanna become a gift to people this holiday season. All of next year, one thing that's required of you is integrity. What I mean by that is character before conformity. Character before conformity. 
So Paul says of Timothy in verse 22, Timothy has proved himself. He served with me in the work of the gospel. That word proved in the Greek hints at attested character. He on, literally his name, Timothy, means he honors God. He had a certain amount of conviction about him. And he didn't just go with the flow. He wasn't just trying to make life easy, but there was something in him. He served with conviction. He served with conviction. Character is a trait. Integrity is a trait that is missing in our culture. And if you want to ruin the relationships in your life, be flippant and careless about integrity. It's the building block of all good things. Without integrity, no matter how much you build up your life, eventually it's going to crumble down around you. We could tell stories. It wouldn't take much for you and I to think about people we know who had all of it going on. And, and there was activity and there was building and there was, you know, lots of stuff. But there was a vacuum inside of integrity. And at some point, and it always does, all that stuff comes crumbling down. The character is about more than just having the right image. It's about being made over time into the image that God wants you to be made into, the image of his son. It's about choosing development. It's about choosing discipleship over some image that you've got it all going on. That's why around here, we really value the ability to be real, to have authenticity, to be able to be vulnerable. We don't need you to have it all put together. I don't want that. This is a church for no perfect people, where no perfect people are allowed. Because we know that integrity requires work, and we have to be honest about it. We have to be honest about where we're growing and how God's challenging us. And we want to create environments where people can have conversations and be vulnerable, and the truth can be valued. Because we think that that's an environment where integrity grows and character grows, where we're developed more and more over time. Whereas a lot of churches, I don't have anybody in, in, in mind specifically, it really is, if we were to pull back the veneer about image management, the pretense that we have it all together. I'm going to be clear with you. I don't have it all together. My family isn't perfect. But one thing we have is we're pressing into what Jesus calls us to. We're growing. And that's good enough. And if you'll do that, what happens is, is over time, your life will become more and more a gift to those around you. Just like Timothy's life was a gift to Paul. Now, I've gone through two. I'm gonna buzz through the last three, but I gotta make a point. Every one of these, do you know why they work? Let me just be clear. It's not because this is good psychobabble. They work because these are the character traits of Jesus. Jesus was the greatest gift of joy to this world in part because of the kinds of character traits we're talking about. Oh, and he was the very son of God who gave his life on a cross, was resurrected from a tomb so we could have a connection with God. But not just that, he also modeled for us what it was to live the life God has for us. God didn't want us just to go to heaven. He wanted us to experience some of his heaven here on earth. That's why the Lord's prayer is you know, give us this day our daily bread. Help us day by day. Help us to forgive even as we're forgiven. And then your kingdom come, your will be done. 
People all over this world are going to pray that this holiday season. And they have no more intention of letting God's will be done. No, when you pray it sincerely, God, your will be done in my life. Grow me, mold me, shape me, work on me, God. What happens is, is your character begins to grow. And that becomes the foundation on which you can build a life. Number three, partnership. You want your life to be a gift? Understand that partnership is required. What I'm talking about here is cooperation before competition. Work together. Work together. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 25, Paul writes, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus. Now look at these words. My brother, my fellow worker or co-worker, and a fellow soldier... Three traits, a brother, co-worker, or fellow worker, and a soldier. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you've given your life to Jesus, as many of us in this room have, you have three specific identifiers. You're part of a family. You're brothers and sisters. That's why some 133 times in the New Testament, we are called brothers and sisters. We're a family. The church I grew up in, we used to codify that. We would like call each other by the names brother and sister, and then maybe a first name. So I was brother Ben. It feels a little odd and stilted, but what we were trying to do was get to that point that we really are family. One of the reasons I'm so thrilled for Sabrina's partnership in ministry is not just because she's a co-worker, but because she's part of the family that is this church, a family on a mission, treating each other right as we do work together. It's a big deal. Our integrity, our honesty with each other. So you're part of a family. You're also called fellow workers or co-workers. The idea here really in the Greek is very similar to the word fellowship. Fellowship. We're part of a family. We're part of a fellowship. So when you step into the family of God, you give your life to Jesus, you're part of the bigger church. But more than that, there is a local church right here. And many of you have, by your behavior, you've demonstrated, this is my fellowship. This is my church. It's not just the church I attend. It's not just Ben's church or the staff church. It's my church. And you conduct yourself as if you're a part of this thing. You're a partner in this thing. And because of that, it makes our church better. Brother, co-worker, and soldier. I don't know if you know it or not, but we're part of a family. We're part of a fellowship and we're fighters. Give your life to Jesus and you instantly become an enemy of the devil. And there is a spiritual fight for you. Put Christians in a season of reflecting on the greatest gift this, ever, this world has ever seen in the, in the gift of Jesus to the world. And I guarantee you, if you're following Jesus at Christmas time, there are seeds of fight all around you as the enemy doesn't want you to one more time unpack the greatest gift the world has ever been given, the greatest gift you've ever been given. Busyness, family discord, financial stress, just not feeling well. It's almost as if all life is going fine, but we had a little extra tension around the holidays. Trouble. You're in a fight. And what's at stake is not just your happiness. What's at stake is the joy of the Lord which is your strength. And we'll sing joy to the world, but it won't be joy in our world. One of the ways you can combat that is commit yourself to partnership. I can't 
give you Christian friends. So let me tell you what a local church is really good at, creating an environment where friendships can be made. I can't force that, but we can sit and create an environment where spiritual friendships can be made and you don't have to be alone. Judges chapter 20, I won't tell you the backstory, it's too shocking, but there was moral outrage over things that had happened. You can read it on your own. But the verse I want to draw your attention to, verse 11. So all the men of Israel got together and united as one man against the city. A different city had come against them, done horrible things. And it so created moral outreach, they said together, we aren't going to let this happen. And they banded together. And when they did that, they operated as one. So partnership and unity. You know what I'm talking about, everybody in this room that's married. That season in your marriage when there was partnership and it was active and it didn't matter how hard things were, you were able to work through them. And you probably, if you've been married for any length of time, you've had a season when things weren't quite as unified in your marriage and it didn't matter how little it was, it was twice as hard. That's the power of partnership and unity. That's why a shared vision in a ministry is absolutely essential. That's why a shared vision in a family is absolutely essential because partnership is powerful. And when you walk in partnership, it becomes a gift to other people. Number four, tenacity. What I mean here is commitment. Specifically, the cause of Christ before my personal comfort. Epaphroditus again, it says, is your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. He was ill and almost died, but God had mercy on him. The level of commitment, he was so sick, the church at Philippi had sent Epaphroditus to Paul. And when he gets there, he's hor- he, he, he feels horrible. He's messed up, he's, he's not well. And yet he sticks with it. And God eventually brings him around. I think that the truth is, is if we're going to be the kind of gift for other people that brings joy, there has to be deep level commitment to one another, to shared values, to what God has called us to. I've noticed that a lot of people are great starters, great starters. And we're about to enter a season where there is millions to be made on telling people how to start fresh in a new year. Start fresh on a business plan. Start fresh in your physique. Start fresh in your thinking. Start fresh in a relationship. Start fresh once again to lose weight. Oh, there'll be thousands of starters. That won't change anything, will it? You know what will change things? Commitment. If you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, you know the power of commitment. It's kind of what James was hinting at when he says, faith, believing, just feeling something by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, then it's effectively dead. Faith without works is dead. It's the commitment to move forward. And a lot of us are aggressive at work, but passive at home. We push hard on agenda items in one place, but we seem very casual about more important items in our deepest and most important relationships. We're very serious about financial clarity and movement in one area, but we're not necessarily thinking through the deeper issues of stewardship with God in another. Or maybe we start it, but we don't finish it. The people in my life who are gifts, who bring me great joy, one thing they all have in common is When it gets a little tough, they dig in. They dig in. And that's the kind of person I want to be in my family. When I'm that way, I'm a gift. 
Our last one is courage. Courage. And these two men, you see courage. What I mean by that is service before security. So in Philippians chapter two, welcome him, it says, with great joy and honor men like him because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. In one sense, Epaphroditus is God's gambler. He's no religious wimp. He risked his very life and he put his own security and well-being second for the cause of Christ. These are the people who changed the world. And it's easy to make these people heroes, but in Romans chapter 12, Paul says it this way, that all of us, he says it, so then my brothers and sisters, because of God's great mercy to us, offer yourselves as a living sacrifice to God, dedicated to his service and pleasing to him. And don't be conformed to the standard of this world, but let God transform you inwardly by a complete changing of your mind. What we're talking about here is the courage to move forward. So we're winding down a year. I'm wondering if at the end of this year, if you could find 15 minutes to think about how you want next year to be better than this year. And when you get past the easy stuff, like you want these circumstances to change, I wonder if there's five minutes between now and the end of the year where you could think about the quality traits you want to bring, the quality traits you want to exhibit in 2017 that maybe weren't as exhibited in 2016 as they should be. I don't know your whole list, but I wanna suggest these five traits. Compassion and integrity and partnership and tenacity and courage. Let me tell you what's at stake with those. What's at stake is your personal joy. But what's also at stake is the joy of those people you're doing life with. You can literally become the gift as God works in you to the world that God puts you in. As Jesus is molded in your life, as you are molded more into his image in your life, what happens is, is you literally become light. As we read last week in our passage, we become like stars shining in the heavens in a wicked and perverse world. And you can look all around you for people who do these. We can look in the Bible at Timothy and Epaphroditus. I wanna suggest you can look all over this church for people who operate in these traits. And we're not perfect, but it's here. It was here in Sabrina's story. It was here in the, in the kids workers who were working in front of you. It's not easy. Very busy people give up a lot of time to help make good things happen around here. And they're not fly-by-night people who are like, yes, I'll do it, and then never show. Week in, week out, they are a gift to our congregation. They partner with parents to help make disciples in this world. People give some of their hard-earned money to make the work of Jesus go forward. Over the last two weeks, I saw eight different people in our church have their Christmas provided for by other groups within this church. It's not easy, but they stepped up to do it because they understand there's a way you can live your life where the gift of Jesus is given through you to others. And do you think it brought them joy? Oh yeah. Was it always easy? Oh no. Was it worth it? You betcha. Most good things in life are, and your 2017 can be better 
if you'll commit to letting Jesus shape and mold your life like never before. And there's no better time to start than at the close of one year and the beginning of another. Why don't you grab out your connect cards and let's take a few steps together in that direction. I am so proud of this church in a good way. I'm proud of what God is doing through us and in us. I'm proud of your generosity. And I'm proud that week in and week out, you come and say, we're gonna submit ourselves to the teaching of God's word. We're gonna let God touch our lives, change us, call us to more. It could be though that as I've talked about all the stuff that God wants to do, the truth is, is you don't have a relationship with him. So if you'd like to begin a relationship with Jesus, next step A says this, today, I wanna make Jesus my savior and Lord. If you wanna do that, please take your pen that we provided and check next step A. Put the card in the offering bucket when it comes by and we'll communicate with you about it, about what it means to be in a relationship with Jesus. And in a few minutes when I pray, Use my words, yours, your own, but agree with what the Bible says about you, that you're a sinner who needs a savior. Believe what the Bible says in John 3, 16, that God loved, so he gave his son. And if we believe, we can receive the eternal life that he offers us. How about next step B? Maybe you need to be baptized. We have several people already gonna be baptized on January 29th. January 29th, the last Sunday of January. It's gonna be a great Sunday. If you need to be baptized, you wanna talk about it, check it and we'll communicate with you. The next step C won't be for everybody, but there might be a handful of you as we've been talking today, you would say, here's the truth. I need to be on a serving team at Four Corners. So if you are, you don't have to check this. If you wanna kick it up a notch, go ahead and check it. But if you're not on a serving team, maybe with kids or hospitality, and you'd like for this church to not just be the church you attend, you'd like it to be more of your church, one of the best ways to do that is to step onto a team. And we'll work with your schedule and all that. Your step today is just check the box. We'll get through the holidays and sometime mid-January, somebody on our team will follow up with you, begin a conversation and work with you to find a spot for you to serve and do the work of Jesus with us in this community. Or next step D, who will say, hey, Ben, I'll make sure I invite at least two people to Christmas Eve Eve. So remember, make sure the number that you've invited is on the front of that connect card and circled big. We're gonna give away that thing today. But as you exit this morning, you're gonna receive two cookies in cellophane wrapping with an invite card on it. Everybody in this room. We're gonna ask you to use those cookies this week to invite somebody. Now you don't have to use the cookies, but at least invite two people to Friday night service at seven and 9 p.m. And in a small way, if you'll invite them, first of all, you'll be obeying God's call to do the Great Commission. But if they come, I'll give the gospel, plain and simple. We'll wrap it with Christmas wrapping, but we'll talk about the God who sent his son into this world and the difference that it can make in a person's life. And the next step, he says, I'll give a financial gift to force these Christmas offering. We're doing really well. We're just south of about $20,000 of the 80 we wanna raise. Typically at Christmas Eve is when most people give. So we'll expect a big offering that evening to go for our initiatives. And every year in January, the rest of it tends to come in. It's only been one year and 12, we didn't hit our goal. So I'm going to share with you more detail, but I won't do it on Christmas Eve Eve because there'll be a lot of guests in the room. But if you've given already, thank you. If you haven't, would you think about giving a gift? Just check the box. I'd like to send you a little bit more detail about it. 
and then you can do what the Lord puts on your heart. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, thank you. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who brought joy to this world. God, we desperately want to experience the joy you have for us. Lord, right now, my heart is burdened with those who are in really difficult seasons right now. It's a financial challenge. It's a relational reality. It's a physical need. There's a sense of spiritual drought, whatever it is, Father. I pray that the baby that was born in a manger would come in power in their life. That God, you would work, you would move in their lives right now. You would speak peace, you'd provide, you'd restore. God, our prayer is that you would use this church to do great ministry. That we as a church, we'd be a gift to this world, to our community. Thank you, Lord, for those that have stepped up, who serve faithfully, who are part of this family as we are fighting against the work of darkness in this world. I pray for those that are right now declaring, Jesus, wash away my sins. Cover me by your blood. I trust you. I trust the work you did on Calvary. I trust the empty tomb to secure my relationship with my heavenly father. God, I pray that the invitations that go out this week from this congregation, I pray that they would be received, that people would come, sing some Christmas songs, light a few candles, eat some cookies, but most of all, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, the greatest gift this world has ever known. We give it all to you, Jesus. We pray it in your name. Amen and amen.